You're listening to the Bank of Marquis Movie Podcast. I'm Tony Stark. I build neat stuff. I got a great girl. And occasionally, save the world. So am I. Can't I sleep? You elected me on a single platform. I will defend this country at all costs. The Mandarin must be stopped. You don't know who I am. your department. And that, of course, is the trailer to the 2013 Marvel superhero film Iron Man 3, based on the Marvel Comics character, produced by Marvel Studios, and distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. Hi, I'm Andy, and I like movies. All kinds of movies. Movies from old Hollywood. That's the movies before 1968. Movies from new Hollywood. Those are the movies from 1968 to 2000. And modern Hollywood. Those are the films from 2000 until today. And today we will have a modern Hollywood film, Iron Man 3, the seventh film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the first film of Phase 2. This movie was directed by Shane Black, taking over the Iron Man franchise from John Favreau, from a screenplay he co-wrote with Drew Pierce and stars Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark Iron Man, alongside Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, Guy Pierce. Rebecca Hall, John Favreau, and Sir Ben Kingsley. 
In Iron Man 3, Tony Stark wrestles with the ramifications of the events of the Avengers during a national terrorism campaign on the United States led by the mysterious Mandarin. Now, this movie was originally budgeted at $140 million, but after the Avengers became a huge hit, Marvel Studios and Disney upped it to $200 million in order to allow Shane Black to make the best movie he could. Producer Kevin Feige described this movie as a full-on Tony Stark-centric movie. He's stripped of everything, he's backed up against the wall, and he has to use his intelligence to get out of it. He can't call Thor, Captain America, or Nick Fury, and he can't look for the helicarrier in the sky. Robert Downey Jr. further described the character as influenced by a post-The Avengers world. Robert Downey Jr. starred in writer and director Shane Black's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in 2005 and spoke highly of Black replacing Favreau, saying that bringing in Shane Black to write and direct the film is basically the only thing that Favreau and the audience and Marvel and I could ever actually sign off on. Shane Black described this movie as a Tom Clancy thriller with the focus on real-world type villains and not two men in suits fighting each other. famous man once said, we create our own demons. A voiceover of Tony Stark starts over images of his yeah. Iron Man suits being blown up. I said it because he said it. So now he was famous and basically getting said by two well-known guys. I don't, uh, I'm going to start again. Let's track this from the beginning. We get the Marvel and Paramount logos and we go to 1999 in Bern, Switzerland. A younger Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., whose bio can be found on the Bank of Marquis podcast episode number four of Iron Man, is partying with someone who we will come to know as Maya Hansen, Rebecca Hall. This is the pre-Iron Man partying Tony Stark, who is being watched over with unapproving unease by a younger Happy Hogan, John Favreau, whose bio can also be found on podcast episode number four. Half hour till the ball drops. Tony Stark, great speech, man. Tony is greeted by Ho Yinsen, Sean Tobb. Now this is a nice callback as Yinsen is the man who saved Tony's life in the cave in the first Iron Man film. It started in Bern, Switzerland, 1999. Tony is stopped by a dorky, bedraggled Aldrich Killian, Guy Pierce. Wow. Hey, Tony. Aldrich Killian. I'm a big fan of your work. My work? Who is it? He needs me. Well, of course. But... When at first you think Killian wants to meet Stark, he really wants to meet Hansen. The ground floor, actually, of a proposal I'm putting together myself. It's a privately funded think tank called Advanced Idea Mechanics. Uh, she'll take both. Tony gives Killian the stiff arm. I'm titillated by the notion of working with you. Yeah, yeah, she's fine, so I'll see you up on the roof in five minutes. Hansen shows Stark her research. I thought that was just a theory. Well, it was. If I'm right, we can access the area of the brain that governs repair wow. and chemically recode it. That's incredible. Essentially, you're hacking into the genetic operating, operating system, system of a exactly. living organism. The plant she's been working on explodes. This is what I'm talking about, the glitch. Have you checked the Telmarie's algorithm? The, 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 the We're good.
We then cut to Killian hanging out on the roof, alone, waiting for Tony to show up, which he never does. It's a good scene-setting opening, one that will pay dividends later on in the film. So, why am I telling you this? Because I had just created demons. And I didn't even know it. We now go to Tony's house in Malibu in present day. Well, yeah, at least the present day of this film, which is 2013. I'm different now. I'm, well, you know who I am. Ow. Sir, please may I request just a few hours to calibrate for you. Ah! Tony and Jarvis, Paul Bettany, are bantering while Tony is working on automating his suit to fly to his body as needed. Sir, may I remind you that you've been awake for nearly 72 hours? In a callback to Iron Man 1, these experiments go badly awry. <laughs> Alright, I think we got this. Send them on. Now, do you think they will work perfectly later on? Then I had to go and turn on the TV. We get the first glimpse of the Mandarin, Sir Ben Kingsley. Some people call me a terrorist. I consider myself a teacher. So while we get the first glimpse of one of the main villains in Iron Man history, let's talk about Sir Ben Kingsley. Born in 1943 in Scarborough, Yorkshire, England, Krishna Banji, later to be known as Ben Kingsley, was raised by an Indian father and an English mother. He began to act in stage plays during the 1960s and made his West End debut as one of the leads in As You Like It for the Royal Shakespeare Company. Other notable West End productions that Kingsley was involved with was Much Ado About Nothing, Richard III, The Tempest, A Midsummer Night's Dream, including the famed Peter Brooks 1970 RSC production, Hamlet, and The Merry Wives of Windsor. He has garnered numerous accolades in his acting career, including an Academy Award, a British Academy Film Award, a Screen Actors Guild Award, a Grammy Award, and two Golden Globes. He would have minor roles in TV series such as Orlando and Coronation Street in the 1960s, as well as the occasional TV series or movie like Fear is the Key, a Misfortune, Wessex Tales, Dickens of London, Crown Court, and Vikings. But in 1982, he jumped immediately to the A-list, starring in Sir Richard Attenborough's Oscar-winning film Gandhi. Kingsley's portrayal of Mahatma Gandhi earned him an Academy Award. Since then, he has been seen in such small independent films as Betrayal, Turtle Diary, Silas Marner, Testimony, and The Children, while also appearing in such big-budget films as Without a Clue, playing Dr. John Watson, to a clueless Sherlock Holmes played by Michael Caine, playing Meyer Lansky in Warren Beatty's Bugsy in 1991, the villain Cosmo in the Robert Redford spy espionage thriller Sneakers in 92, Vice President Nance in Dave in 93, and Itzhak Stern in Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List in 93. Other films of the 90s include Death and the Maiden, a production of Twelfth Night, 
Sweeney Todd in a TV version of Sweeney Todd, and Major Caterpillar in a TV movie version of Alice in Wonderland. He also would grab paychecks for such movies as Species, Weapons of Mass Distraction, and Parting Shots. In 2000, he played one of the best villains I've ever seen on screen in the Jonathan Glazer-directed British gangster film Sexy Beast. And if you haven't seen his portrayal of Don Logan in this film, check it out. And in the 2000s, again, he would go back and forth between art house, interesting films like House of Sand and Fog, Suspect Zero, playing Fagin in a production of Oliver Twist, Trans-Siberian, and Elegy to paycheck movies in films like Lucky Number Slevin, which is really a fun gangster shoot 'em up type movie in 2006, Thunderbirds, the Michael Myers misfire, The Love Guru in 2008, and Prince of Persia, Sands of Time in 2010. In 2011, he starred as filmmaker Georges Millet in the motion capture Martin Scorsese homage to films Hugo, which is one of the best uses of 3D I've ever seen in a film. And if you haven't seen Hugo, check it out. He was Trevor Slattery in Iron Man 3, a voice in the wonderful animated film The Box Trolls in 2014. He provided a voice in the live-action remake of The Jungle Book in 2016. He was a wonderful Adolf Eichmann in the underrated 2018 Operation Finale. Reprised his role as Trevor Slattery in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings in 2021. Currently, he has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight films in pre- or post-production, including a new version of Ibsen's A Dollhouse. So I'm sure we'll see some good and some bad from Kingsley going forward. Clearly somebody's trying to hide something. I, excuse me. Yes. Potts, your four o'clock is here. Back at Stark Industries, Happy Hogan, Chief of Security, and CEO of Stark Industries, Pepper Potts, Gwyneth Paltrow, whose bio could also be heard in Episode 4, Iron Man, Chat. Pepper meets up with a much better-looking Aldridge Killian. Pepper. Killian? You look great. You look really great. God, you, you look great. I, I, I can't. What on earth have you been doing? Nothing fancy. Five years in the hands of physical therapists. And please, call me Aldrich. Uh, you were supposed to be issued a security badge. Be happy is okay. Yes. We're good. Killian has a proposal for Pepper. After years dodging the president's ban on immoral biotech research, my think tank now has a little something in the pipeline. It's an idea we like to call extremists. So, while Killian proposes to work with Stark Industries on his plan to map and enhance the human brain, a proposal that Pepper shoots down over moral grounds, let's talk about the actor playing Aldrich Killian, Guy Pierce. Born in England on October 5th, 1967, hey, we share a birthday, Guy Edward Pierce moved to Australia when his father was offered the position of chief test pilot for the Australian government. His father was subsequently killed five years later in an aircraft test flight, leaving Guy's mother, a school teacher, to care for him and his older sister. Having little interest in subjects at school like math or science, Guy favored art, drama, and music. He joined local theater groups at a young age and appeared in such productions as The King and I, Fiddler on the Roof, 
and The Wizard of Oz. In 1985, just two days after his final high school exam, Guy started a four-year stint as Mike Young on the popular Australian soap opera, Neighbors. In 1990, Guy appeared in his first film, Heaven Tonight, as well as playing David Croft in the TV series, Home and Away, from 1991 to 1992. In 1994, he achieved a level of stardom as he starred opposite Terrence Stamp and Hugo Weaving in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, about two drag performers and a transgender woman who travel across the Australian outback. He was in the TV series Snowy River, the McGregor Saga from 1994 to 1996, and achieved stardom in the United States playing opposite Kevin Spacey and Russell Crowe in L.A. Confidential in 1997. He next appeared to American audiences, at least, as Captain John Boyd in the dark, comedic, cannibal comedy Ravenous in 1999, and then as Major Biggs in Rules of Engagement in 2000. He then hit stardom, starring as Leonard in the Christopher Nolan oddity Memento, a movie that is told backwards about a man who has no short-term memory. From there, he did a series of Hollywood movies, such as The Count of Monte Cristo, The Time Machine, and The Proposition, while also doing some interesting work in films such as Factory Girl, playing Andy Warhol, and Dr. Bruce Larrabee in Winged Creatures in 2008. In 2008, he had a small but pivotal role in the Oscar-winning film The Hurt Locker, as well as roles in Bedtime Stories, The Road, and a wonderful Australian gangster film called Animal Kingdom. In 2010, he was King Edward VIII in the Oscar-nominated The King's Speech, and then earned a primetime Emmy for his work in the TV miniseries Mildred Pierce. In 2012, he appeared in the alien prequel Prometheus as Peter Wayland, the gangster film Lawless in 2012, and Iron Man 3 as Aldrich Killian in 2013. He played F. Scott Fitzgerald in Genius in 2016, the Reverend in Brimstone in 2016, reprised his role as Peter Wyland in Alien Covenant in 2017, played Robert Furman in the It Should Have Been Better Than It Was film The Catcher Was a Spy in 2018, Joe Martin in the actioner Domino in 2019, Ebenezer Scrooge in a TV miniseries version of A Christmas Carol in 2019, Secretary Clay in the Tom Clancy thriller Without Remorse, a wonderful turn as Richard Ryan in the unforgettable Mayor of Easttown in 2021, played the title role of Jack Irish in the Australian TV series Jack Irish from 2016 to 2021, as well as three TV movies based on this character, and currently has four projects in the can or currently filming. Busted. This is a new level of lame. Sorry. You ate without me already on date night? In a rare instance of introspection for a superhero Marvel film, Iron Man 3 and Tony Stark examines the PTSD that comes with the attack from the aliens in The Avengers. Nothing's been the same since New York. Oh, really? I didn't notice that at all. You experience things. And then they're over and you still can't explain them? 
gods, aliens, other dimensions. I'm, I'm just a man in a can. The only reason I haven't cracked up is probably because you moved in, which is great. I love you. I'm lucky. But honey, I can't sleep. In the meantime, Happy is following Aldrich Killian's right-hand man, his henchman, James Badge Dale, who encounters a lackey at the famed Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood. Can you regulate? Yes, I can regulate. Sure about that. Yes. Clearly, he is up to something. How you doing, buddy? You out by yourself, little date night? See your favorite chick flick, maybe? Yeah, a little movie called The Party's Over, starring you and your junkie girlfriend. Happy and henchman get in a fight, okay. where the henchman reconstitutes himself via glowing face and has superhuman strength. The lackey explodes, literally. This explosion injures Happy. Now this is a variation of the kill the buddy scene. It's Happy, so we aren't going to kill him. We'll just wound him a bit. This will give Tony personal stakes in the events to come. Is that what you want? Here's a little holiday greeting I've been wanting to send to the Mandarin. I just didn't know how to phrase it until now. My name is Tony Stark, and I'm not afraid of you. I know you're a coward. So I've decided that you just died, pal. I'm going to come get the body. Tony starts preparing to fight the Mandarin and investigate the explosion at the theater. Okay. What do we got here? There's a knock on his door. You're not the Mandarin. Are you? Are you? You don't remember. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Don't take it personally. I don't remember what I had for breakfast. In walks in Maya Hansen. Hey, look, I need to be alone with you someplace. Not here. It's urgent. Normally, I'd go for that sort of thing, but now I'm in a committed relationship. It's with her. Tony! Is somebody there? Yeah, it's Maya Hansen. Old botanist pal. Rockets head towards Tony's house. Tony's house is attacked by the bad guys, namely Killian's henchmen. The following series is a pretty terrific set piece action scene of Tony's house being blown up, including the scene of all of Tony's Iron Man suits blowing up that we saw at the beginning of the film and of Tony's house sliding down the mountain into the Pacific Ocean, trapping Tony underneath the rubble, and Tony barely escaping with his life. So while this is going on, let's have us an intermission.
Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Settle back now, content, comfortable, well-fed, and ready for some fine entertainment. Is everybody happy? Then let's go. It's showtime. And we're back. That's the emergency alert triggered by the power dropping below 5%. Tony crash lands in a remote field somewhere that we will later find out is Kentucky. Why Kentucky? Well, plot reasons. So while we have a fairly lengthy sequence of Tony hiding out in Kentucky, let's talk about the director and writer of this film, Shane Black. Considered one of the pioneering screenwriters of the modern action genre, Shane Black was born on December 16, 1961, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His father was in the printing business and helped Black get an interest in hard-boiled fiction, such as the works of Mickey Spillane and the Matt Helm series. His family would move to California during his sophomore year of high school, where he attended Sunny Hills High School and later UCLA, where he majored in film and theater and graduated in 1983. After graduation, Black worked as a typist for a temp agency and a data entry clerk for the 1984 Summer Olympics. Black would knock around town in Los Angeles as a script doctor until eventually his script for a lethal weapon landed him a deal with Warner Brothers. During the rewrites, Black asked producer Joel Silver for a small acting role in another film Silver was preparing, and thus Black appeared in the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic action flick Predator. At the same time, Black helped write The Monster Squad, which along with Lethal Weapon and Predator came out in 1987. Lethal Weapon, of course, was a huge hit, and Black was asked to write Lethal Weapon 2. However, Warner Brothers felt the script was too dark and violent, and they ended up not using his script. Feeling burned out and having conflicts with the studio, Black left Warner Brothers and wrote the film The Last Boy Scout in 1991, and then would earn a million dollars for rewriting Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Last Action Hero in 1993. Black would make his directorial debut with 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, a homage to the hard-boiled detective films of the 40s and 50s, starring Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. He would also contribute as a writer to the action flick Long Kiss Goodnight with Samuel L. Jackson and Gina Davis. And if you haven't seen this, film, check it out. It's quite fun. His next major work was Iron Man 3 in 2013, followed by The Nice Guys, a comedy action film set in the 1970s and starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, and it's pretty fun. In 2018, he disappointed a lot of people, myself included, when he wrote and directed a sequel to the Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator movie called The Predator, and it's meh. He currently has two films in pre-production that he will be directing, as well as writing. Why are you at the house tonight? Pepper confronts Maya. I think that my boss is working for the Mandarin. Your boss 
works for the Mandarin, you think? But Tony says you're a botanist. Not figures. So. What I actually am is a biological DNA coder running a team of 40 out of a privately funded think tank. But sure, you can call me a botanist. Pepper discovers that Killian is the bad guy. Boss of yours, does he have a name? Yeah. The Mandarin broadcasts to the nation while the president, William Sadler from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and the vice president, Miguel Ferrar of CSI Los Angeles, looks on. There's just one lesson left, President Ellis, so run away, hide, kiss your children goodbye, because nothing, not your army, not your red, white, and blue attack dog can save you. The president sends out Iron Patriot, formerly known as War Machine, aka James Rhodey Rhodes, Don Cheadle, whose bio can be found in Podcast 16, Iron Man 2. Sir, we tracked the broadcast signal. We have a possible point of origin in Pakistan on the Patriot that's ready to strike. Right now. Yes, sir. Iron Patriot is called by Tony. straddling you and you look up and suddenly she's glowing from the inside out kind of a bright orange yeah i've had that who is this it's me pal now last time i went missing if i remember correctly you came looking for me what are you doing a little knock and talk making friends in pakistan what are you doing your redesign your big rebrand that was aim right yeah i'm gonna find a heavy duty comm set right now i need your login it's the same as it's always been one machine 68 and password please well look i gotta change it every time you hack in tony it's not the 80s. Nobody says hack anymore. Give me your login. War Machine rocks with an X, all caps. We then go to a local beauty pageant in Chattanooga? Why? Yeah. So we can get the briefest of Stan Lee cameos as a judge in the beauty pageant. Very nice, very nice. I have one question for you. What would you like for Christmas this year? Tony finds out that all these glowing people are wounded veterans in a secret program run by Killian. Ellen Brandt. Okay, so the injections are administered periodically. Addiction will not be tolerated, and those who cannot regulate will be cut from the program. Maya tells Pepper about her regeneration program that is being usurped by Killian to augment humans with exploding consequences. Hard on yourself, Maya. Gave your research to a think tank. Yeah, but Killian built that think tank on military contracts. That's exactly what we used to do. So don't judge yourself. So while we get this exposition out of the way and we find out that Killian and Maya are in it with the Mandarin and they kidnap Pepper, let's talk about Rebecca Hall. (laughs) Rebecca Maria Hall was born on the 3rd of May, 1982 to American opera singer Maria Ewing an English stage director and Royal Shakespeare Company founder, Sir Peter Hall. Her mother was born in Detroit to an African-American mixed-race father and a Dutch mother, and she is a descendant of Revolutionary War veteran Basabiel Norman, a free black man. Hall's parents separated when she was still young, eventually divorcing in 1990. Her first professional role came in 1992 when she appeared as young Sophie in her father's television adaptation of Mary Wesley's The Chamomile Lawn at the age of nine. Her feature film debut came in 2006 as Rebecca Epstein in the film adaptation of David Nichols' Starter for Ten. And then she got her breakthrough role with the role of Sarah Borden in Christopher Nolan's The Prestige in 2006. Her profile in Hollywood 
grew when she starred in the Woody Allen film Vicky Cristina Barcelona in 2008 as the Vicky of Vicky Cristina Barcelona. For this role, she was nominated for the Golden Globe Award for Best Actress, Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. In 2008, she appeared in Ron Howard's historical drama, Frost Nixon, and the following year she was cast in the British fantasy horror film, Dorian Gray. Turning to theater, Hall made her professional stage debut in 2002. She starred in her father's production of Mrs. Warren's Profession at the Strand Theater. She next would star in two plays staged by her father, appearing as Rosalind in As You Like It, and then starring in the title role of D.H. Lawrence's The Fight for Barbara. In 2004, Hall appeared in three plays for the Peter Hall Company at the Theater Royal Bath, two of which her father directed, Man and Superman and Galileo's Daughter. In 2005, Hall reprised the role of Rosalind in a touring production of As You Like It, under the direction of her father. And in 2008, Hall appeared in Sam Mendes' The Winter's Tale and in the Cherry Orchard. In 2010-11, she played Viola in a production of Twelfth Night at London's National Theatre, once again directed by her father. She would make her Broadway debut in 2013 in the play Machinal. Back on screen, she would play Claire Kesey in The Town, the Ben Affleck bank robber movie set in Boston. And then in 2013, she would appear as Maya Hansen in Iron Man 3, and then would appear in Joel Edgerton's The Gift, Edgerton's mystery thriller written and directed by Edgerton and starring Edgerton, Jason Bateman, and Hall. Next up would be Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman. She would next play Grace Hart in the Will Ferrell, Misfire, Holmes, and Watson. Play Loretta in the TV series Tales from the Loop in 2020. And was in the blockbuster monster movie Godzilla vs. Kong in 2021. Also in 2021, Hall would make her writing and directing debut with the period piece Passing, about an African-American woman in the 1920s who passes herself off as white. And if this project is any indicator, I think Rebecca Hall will have a long and prosperous career as a director. The plot of this movie moves its location to Miami as Tony tracks down the Mandarin. But there is one more plot twist. Well, I wouldn't go in there for 20 minutes. <laughs> now. The Mandarin isn't the Mandarin. He's an actor named Trevor. You're not him, the Mandarin, the real guy. Where? Where's the Mandarin? Where is he? Whoa, 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 he's here. He's here, but he's not here. He's here, but he's not here. He's, what do you mean? Uh, it's complicated. Hey, it's complicated. It right? is. It's complicated. I'm complicated. Ladies out. Get out of the bed. Get in the bathroom. My name's Trevor. Trevor Slattery. What are you? What are you, a decoy? You're a double, right? Well, I mean, I can't study. No, absolutely not. Don't hurt the face. I'm an While the makers of this film thought that this plot twist was clever, it really is just disappointing. The Mandarin, see, it's not real. And the thing was, he needed someone to take credit for some accidental explosions. He? Killian? Killian. He created you. He created me. 
So Aldrich Killian is the real bad guy of this film. Oh, and one other plot twist. Okay, Trevor. What'd you tell him? Maya tortures Tony. Just like old times, huh? Oh, yeah. With zip ties. It's a ball. It wasn't my idea. Okay, so you took Killian's card. I took his money. And here you are, 13 years later, in a dungeon. No. Yeah. No, you're in a dungeon. I'm free to go. And Killian does the bad guy speech to Tony. I had a thought that would guide me for years to come. Anonymity, Tony. Thanks to you, it's been my mantra ever since, right? You simply rule from behind the scenes. Because the second you give evil a face, the Bin Laden, Gaddafi, a Mandarin, you hand the people a target. You're something else. It becomes clear that Killian and Maya have extremists in them as well. Uh, they glow too. Let him go. Hold on, hold on. Maya. I said let him go. Killian shoots Maya. Good news is, a high-level position has just been vacated. Tony states the obvious. You are a maniac. No, I'm a visionary. But I do own a maniac. Who takes the stage tonight? We next have a pretty decent action scene where the bad guy attacks the president on Air Force One and Tony saves the folks that are blown out of the side of the airplane one by one. Now this scene was added because the film was given some extra dollars for a big action scene following the success of The Avengers. And it's money well spent. Tony saves the president's staff. Give me some good news, man. I think they all made it. Oh, thank God. Yeah, Tony pulls out the house party them. protocol. Uh, Sir Jarvis, is it that time? The house party protocol, sir? Correct. All of Tony's 50-something Iron Man suits come flying out of the remnants of the Stark mansion in Malibu. This then sets up the big battle. Tony, Pepper, and Rhodey versus Killian and his army of glowing, exploding henchmen. It's a pretty good battle sequence, but still pales in comparison to the Avengers New York adventure. So while this battle goes on, let's play the Bank of Marquez Marvel Battle Scene Music.
Now there is one little nice moment where you think that Pepper has fallen to her death. Which of course sets up Tony versus Killian, mano a mano. Just when it looks like Killian is going to defeat Tony. You really didn't deserve it, Tony. It's a pity. I was so close to having her. Perfect. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. Slow down, slow down. You're right. I don't deserve her. Here's where you're wrong. She was already perfect. But a glowing pepper saves the day. Now this movie was able to do something I didn't think was possible. Make an action hero out of Pepper Potts, Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh my God. That was really violent. Tony figures he knows how to make the antidote for the glowing stuff. Now this glowing stuff was needed to be put in Pepper for the finale of this movie to defeat Killian, but it's not a necessary power that Pepper needs to have going forward in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So let's get rid of it. Don't touch me. No, I'm gonna burn you. Uh-huh. I'm gonna be okay. No. You're in a relationship with me. Everything will never be okay. But I think I can figure this out, yeah. And this is too bad, for I, for one, would like to see the ongoing adventures of glowing Pepper. That's what I do. I fix stuff. And all your distractions? Uh, I'm gonna shave them down a little bit. Jarvis. Hey. All wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else? You know what to do. The clean slate protocol, sir? Screwed, it's Christmas. Yes, yes. To show Pepper how much she means to him and how much of a changed man he is, Tony has Jarvis destroy all his Iron Man suits. Tony gives us the epilogue. Start with something pure, something exciting. Then come the mistakes, the compromises. We see Tony getting his heart fixed. We create our own demons. And of course, Happy wakes up from his coma. Tony morphs into something else, something we will see in the other Avengers Marvel films. But no more Iron Man films. So if I were to wrap this up, tie it with a bow, whatever, I guess I'd say my armor, it was never a distraction or a hobby. It was a cocoon. And now, I'm a changed man. The credits start. 
And they are pretty good credits as they give us quick cut snippets from all three Iron Man films. But of course, we have extra scenes, or should I say, scene. You know, and thank you, by the way, for listening. But something about just getting it off my chest and putting it out there in the atmosphere instead of holding this in. I mean, this is what gets people sick, you know? This scene shows, as it turns out, that all of the voiceover in this movie was Tony on the psychiatrist couch talking to a doctor. You with me? It was, yeah. We were at a... You actively napping? I, I was, I, I, I drifted. Where did I lose you? But the doctor is Bruce Banner, who fell asleep. I'm sorry. I'm not that kind of doctor. I'm not a therapist. It's not my training. So, I, I don't have the... What, the time? Temperament. Postscript. Iron Man 3 premiered at the Grand Rex in Paris on April 14, 2013, and was released in the United States on May 3rd as the first film in Phase 2 of the MCU. It received generally positive reviews from critics, with praise for its action sequences and Downey's performance. The film was a box office success, grossing over $1.2 billion worldwide making it the second highest grossing film of 2013 and the 16th film to gross over $1 billion. At the time, it also became the fifth highest grossing film of all time. This is the final MCU movie to be produced by Paramount Pictures, and at two hours and 10 minutes, this is the longest standalone Iron Man movie. Robert Downey Jr. pushed to get Gwyneth Paltrow to have some action scenes, and producer Kevin Feige approved. The post-credit scene was originally meant to have Tony Stark blasting off into space to meet the Guardians of the Galaxy. Iron Man was going to have a cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy, but this was scrapped when Robert Downey Jr. said he may not reprise his role as Tony Stark in the future. And what did the Bank of Marquis think of this film? I thought it was just fine. For me, it's in the lower third of MCU films. Not the best, but still pretty darn entertaining. I don't know of a single MCU film that I haven't been entertained by. Next time on the Bank of Marquis Movies Podcast.
this up as I go. That's what's coming up next on the Think of Marquis Movie Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, email us at bankofmarquis at gmail.com. That's B-A-N-K-O-F-M-A-R-Q-U-I-S at gmail.com. And check out the website, www.bankofmarquis.com. And until next time... I'm watching you, Wazowski. Always watching. <laughs>